Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who was born in Kitchener, Ontario, where he starred as a midget with the hometown green shirts and with the OHL's Kingston Canadians. He was taken 40th overall by the Washington Capitals in the 1986 draft, scored a personal high 32 goals during his last junior season in 1987-88. During his first two pro seasons, he established himself as a two-way hardworking forward with the Baltimore Skipjacks of the AHL. In 1990-91, he was recalled for four NHL games, notched 22 goals in the minors, injuries limited to 18 games the next season, and forced him to retire. He tells a story about his hockey odyssey and passion for the game in a tremendous new book, Shattered Ice. We are thrilled to welcome Stephen Steftel to 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, Mark. It's uh, thrilled to be on your station. I know the uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut sports fans are some of the most passionate in the world, so... Uh, this is a really nice opportunity for me. Thank you very much for having me. It's absolutely our pleasure. Now, I mentioned in the open that you're born in Kitchener, Ontario. And for those here in the States, maybe the best way I can describe it is Kitchener is to youth hockey in Canada to what high school football here in the States is in, in Dallas and in, in Texas. So I have to imagine growing up, uh, the Kitchener Rangers of that era a team that included four future Stanley Cup champions in Brian Bellow, Scott Stevens, Al McGinnis, and Wendell Young, you know, had an impact on you. How important was that team to your love of hockey and wanting to be a player in the OHL? No, oh, you're right. It was huge. Uh, the Kitchener Rangers are the biggest game in town in, uh, growing up. And, you know, for us as young kids, the Maple Leafs, Toronto Maple Leafs were just down the street. But when you're growing it was always uh, not always easy to get Maple Leaf tickets, but you could go down to the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium and watch the future NHL stars. And to me, as a young boy, they seemed like the next best thing to the National Hockey League. And uh, I remember in 1982, sitting in the rafters in a jammed Kitchener Memorial Auditorium, watching Scott Stevens, Brian Bellows, and Al McKinnis on that 1982 Memorial Cup championship team. And... Uh, hoping one day that I could be like them and that they were my heroes at that point in my life and certainly were, were players that I wanted to uh, pattern myself after and uh, be like. It's interesting because even a further indication of just how huge minor hockey is in Canada, your AAA midget green shirt team actually traveled to Czechoslovakia for a tournament when you were 15 years old. What was that experience as a 15-year-old traveling to Czechoslovakia like? It was intimidating, I'll be honest with you, because uh, at that time, Czechoslovakia was still a communist country, and we were coming, uh, we weren't that far removed from the 72 summit series between Canada and Russia, which uh, was a very compelling eight games of hockey. And, you know, the Cold War was still on, and there was certainly some, uh, some skepticism about traveling across behind the Iron Curtain. And, uh, yeah, we were a little uptight. Um, and I can remember going landing in uh, Prague, and you know there was armed guards at the airport. You know that kind of set me back a little bit, caught me a little bit off guard. And then, but it was a it was an amazing experience to go over there, and we did win a tournament. We ended up playing the two game series with the Czech national midget team, 
who was then coached by Yuri Holacek, their former national team goalie. We split the series. We won the, they won the first one. We won the second one. You, know, you move on to the OHL, and the OHL is a lot like the Cape Cod League here in baseball. Young men move away from their hometown. They stay with sponsor families. There they're known as billets and play hockey. What do you remember from OHL draft day when the Kingston Canadians chose you in the third round in 1985? Well, I will say for your uh, fans in the New York area, the top-rated player at the uh, 1985 OHL draft was Adam Graves. <laughs> and uh, he was pretty much uh, known as a surefire, can't-miss pro- prospect at that point. And uh, he ended up going in the first round by the Windsor Spitfires. The first overall pick ended up being Brian Fogarty by the Kingston Canadians, and Brian Fogarty ended up being a, a first-round draft pick of the Quebec Nordiques in 1987. And, uh, you know, another name from that draft was Brendan Shanahan, <laughs> and uh, I talk about Brendan Shanahan as well in my book, Shattered Ice. He was, along with Adam Graves, would have been another one of the most uh, highly sought-after young prospects going into that draft. So it's a pretty cool moment when you end up going. And in the book, you detail the first day with your billets, Dennis and Ellen Stone. And once you go up to the room, how your mind started racing and how anxiety racked your body. But once you began to focus on hockey, that anxiety faded away. How did hockey both help in a cathartic way for you to overcome anxiety, yet later on in life contribute to some of your issues? Well, it's interesting. When you're playing hockey, you're part of this pack. You're, uh, you know, your team is your support group. So when you moving away from home is very challenging when you're 17, 16, 17 years old. And I think that's one of the toughest parts for young hockey players in Canada who play in the junior ranks. You move away anywhere between 15 and 17 and uh, you're still in high school and really your support group ends up being the team. So those those uh, 20 players on your hockey team plus the coaching staff really is who you lean heavily on during the tough times especially when you're a rookie. Um, going down the road though, um, it just got my anxiety ended up in the in, those uh, my mental, well, say mental illness, really started to take a toll on me as the pressure builds um, when you become a professional and you're expected to perform. And along with being a professional, yeah, there are expectations, and you can put a lot of pressure on yourself. You know, during the time in the O, you led the Kingston Canadians in scoring during the 87-88 season, and your three-year OHL career, you played in 162 games on Kingston Canadians uniform. You compiled 64 goals and 102 assists for 166 career OHL points. It's a pretty impressive career. At what point did you realistically feel that the NHL was a realistic dream for you? Uh, uh, well, when I drafted in 1986, second round, 40th overall, as you mentioned. I went to my first training camp, and I have a chapter in Shattered Ice called Bork's Corner. And my first camp, I was 18 years old, um, had a decent start to the camp, and I ended up playing the first exhibition game, which was at the then Capital Center in Landover, Maryland. And we were playing the Boston Bruins, and Ray Bork was in the lineup, which is why I called the chapter Bork's Corner. And it was really, for me... Um, just an incredible thrill to see an icon like Ray Bork on the other side of the ice. But it was after that game, and then I got to play one more game against the Devils up in the Meadowlands. And it was really after that training camp when I thought, 
that I had a shot to be a professional and play in the National Hockey League. Came home, and the Capitals had signed me to a contract shortly after camp. And uh, really at that point, when I thought, started to really believe that I could make hockey a career. It's so cool because in the book you describe many stops along the way. June 21st, 1986, your description of draft day in the book is amazing. Tell us what, about walking into the forum and, and you, you talk about feeling the ghost of Canadians past as you walked into that building. Yeah, well, the Montreal Forum was a legendary arena, and especially in Canada, um, when you go back to the original six, you know, like the Rangers and the Blackhawks, and the Bruins, but for for in uh, the Red Wings, but for in Canada, it was Toronto and Montreal. So there's, it's legendary the rivalry between Toronto and Montreal, and it still exists today, even though maybe not the level it used to be. But for uh, as kids going to the Forum, you'd heard so much about it. You'd heard so much about the legends like Rocket Richard and Bernie Boom Boom Jeffrion and Jacques Plante and Guy Lafleur. I mean, there, you can go on and on. Ken Dryden. And, you know, I talk in the book as well about the historic New Year's Eve game with the, the Russian Red Army and the Canadians as an exhibition game. We, on New Year's Eve, we watched, you know, as a country, we're glued to the television watching this hockey, exhibition hockey game between these two great teams. So, and the arena is home to, you know, multiple Stanley Cups and so many hockey, um, historic players who were legends in, uh, in the Hockey Hall of Fame. So walking into that rink for the first time as an 18-year-old kid after observing, you know, all this legend and folklore for, for the first 18 years of my life, um, it was just a thrill. And to walk into the building, it just smells like hockey. Um, <laughs> the banners, the, the pictures, it was just an amazing experience. So what's the first thing that goes through your mind sitting in the forum when you hear your name called as you're drafted? I think that's one of the most memorable points uh, in my career. I think I'm, maybe a lot of players would say that, too. Uh, you work so hard to get to that stage, um, and you put so much time and effort into it. And then when you get selected, it basically that team is saying, we believe in you, and we think you can help us win the Stanley Cup. And that's kind of the dream and then you go up there and they put that sh that uh, sweater in your hand and you pull it over your head and it's just one of those moments that you'll never forget and this, for me it was one of the most memorable moments of my hockey career for sure Steve this is AJ Carter taking a look one of the main points of your book what got you to write the book was basically discovery of the demons that have been chasing you throughout your entire well teenage years into the minor league hockey into the NHL you go through an experience like draft day or anything how does the tug and war go back and forth you look you're drafted you're number 40 it's great do you start questioning yourself also at one point how do the demons play into this and play off against what should be a very high moment in your life i think i would say i definitely had swagger when i was 18 and drafted and i think uh one of the things that happens along the way is you sustain injuries and with with injuries comes trauma and with trauma comes some of the anxiety which leads to some of the mental illness and um you know for myself i taught right shortly after i signed my first contract i tore my first acl and it was a devastating injury and and uh, i took you know i ended up working through that for five years um i know for myself personally you know fighting's always been a part of hockey i was knocked out in a fight 
which I talk about in the book, and playing junior hockey. And But these injuries have a cumulative effect, and it does lead to some trauma. And, but at that time, we didn't talk about it. And because we didn't talk about it, you internalized everything, and, and all that pressure and those feelings would be suppressed, and eventually you just kind of implode or you explode or you get sick. And it just... So it's a real, uh, at that time, it was a really difficult thing to maneuver as a young player. You know, it's also interesting because you, you play for the Capitals' AHL affiliate, uh, the Baltimore Skipjacks, and you describe AHL life terrifically in the book, uh, in the musical Coaches chapter. You know, movies on the bus, fast food, card games, long bus trips. Uh, Doug McLean, who wrote the foreword of your book, is one of those coaches. There's a great story about Doug and Barry Melrose in the book. Can you tell our audience a little bit about their confrontation in that AHL game that you were in? Yeah, we were playing uh, first round with Baltimore Skipjacks. We were playing the Adirondack Red Wings. Uh, the Red Wings were favored, I'd say, going into the series by the hockey pundits. And um, so, as you said, yeah, Doug McLean was our coach. Barry Melrose was behind the Adirondack Red Wings bench, and we had them on the ropes uh, down three to two. They were down three to two in the series. We were coming back to Baltimore for game six, and um, we had them. Like I said we had them on the ropes. We were leading, and uh, as it goes in playoff hockey, after by game six, the teams have a pretty good hate on for each other. <laughs> um, we didn't like them. They didn't like us. And what really happened is there was a, an altercation in front of the benches. And the benches were side by side, and the players were all so basically all both teams and all the coaches were right in this little area, and uh, it kind of spilled over to the coaches jawing at each other, and uh, Barry kind of lost his temper and he started banging on the glass and just giving it to Doug McLean. <laughs> so Doug, Mac was giving it back to him, and in the uh, melee, or on the call, in the kind of little verbal uh, barrage. While he was pounding on the glass, the uh, pain became dislodged, and uh, that kind of startled everybody. <laughs> Our fans were banging on the glass behind the benches too, trying to get a, you know, a further uh, infuriate Mr. Melrose. And ref- the referee tossed uh, Barry out of the game. So, and we ended up winning that game and uh, winning the series. What's your fondest memories of the AHL? Fondest memories of the AHL? Well, I'd say. Uh, being in Baltimore, I really that was at the time was one of the best uh, best cities in the American Hockey League. I know they don't have a team any any longer, but Baltimore was a, a really nice place to play hockey. I enjoyed uh, all the years I played there. People were really friendly. Um, I mean, they're an Orioles town first for sure, and now the Ravens. Not not then. But um, I wish hockey was still there. They were friendly people. They, the fans that came to the, to the rink loved the team and fully supported it. And it was a great place uh, to spend my uh, – if you had to be in the minors, Baltimore is a good city to be in. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Kenny Albert might have been the play-by-play announcer at that time. for the, the He was. And, well. uh, Doing everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have a story in the book. You know, I grew up listening to Marv Albert, and for me, he was – he was the voice of the Rangers. He was the voice of basketball and other professional sports. I mean, he was the man for me. So when Kenny came to town, that was his, you know, he was the play, hired as the play-by-play man of the Baltimore Skipjacks. I was thrilled that Marv Albert's son was now in the organization. And uh, 
just we got to know Kenny. He's a super nice guy and uh, really easy to talk to. And I remember he tipped me off that his parents were coming to the arena. And it was just, for me, it was going to be a thrill of a lifetime to meet Marv Albert. So uh, before the game, I just asked Kenny to give me a heads up as to Marv's location. And I made sure I, I found him in the building. And I shook his hand, and I just wanted to introduce him and say hello and nice to meet you. And, I, you know, I love your work. And you're one of my favorite broadcasters. So I did do that. And, uh, yeah, there, it was a, a real nice chance meeting for me. Absolutely. You fulfill your lifetime dream of making the NHL, and you have an amazing story about your first game in the Goon from Baltimore chapter. As fate would have it, your first game is against the Red Wings. Your former coach, Doug McLean, was on their staff. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, that moment you know, during the pregame skate when you made eye contact and skated over and had a, a little conversation with Doug? Yeah, I always tell people Doug was my favorite coach I ever played for, and uh, him and I... I think part of it, he, he has a master's degree in educational psychology, and we really hit it off. So going into that following season, first NHL game, like you said, in Detroit, I was nervous, as you would be for your first NHL game. And I was skating around a warm-up, and Doug was, I saw him on the home bench, so I thought it would be a good strategy to just go over and say hi to him and maybe kind of say something like, good job, kid, you made it, congratulations. Just maybe calm me down a little bit. And uh, so I start heading towards the bench, and we make eye contact. And as I'm approaching, I can see he's going to say something. So I lean in and listen, and he says, Hey, Seth, I told Probert you're the goon called up from Baltimore. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I immediately went, oh, you, I just thought, you said what? To who? <laughs> to who? <laughs> and that was in the heyday when Bob Probert was probably the most feared player in the league. So I go back to the dressing room, and... Terry Murray was our head coach. He calls out the starting lineups, and he says, Hunter, Seppel, Druce. You know, Dale Hunter was a fiery player in his own right. John Druce was a, a nice goal-scoring winger, and myself. So I, I thought that was an amazing thrill to be starting that first game. Line up on the blue line, hear the national anthem. So I want to know who I'm up against. I'm a left winger. And I look over to the other blue line. There's Bob Probert, number 24. <laughs> and he's the right winger I'm going to be right lined up against. So <laughs> I knew we were going to be skate to skate, stick to stick. I read his book years later. And what I found out later in the book is that unless you were a proven tough guy, he probably wasn't going to give you the time of day as a rookie. So I really had nothing to worry about. And uh, <laughs> that was a great game. We won an overtime and, uh, it's, uh, again, a memory I'll never forget. You know, it's interesting because you, you spend all that time trying to get there. You do get in four games. What do those four games mean to you, including your final game, which happened to be on a, a pretty significant date, especially if you were in the nation's capital? Yeah, well, before I jump to that game, I said I got to play. The, I played the Flyers and the Spectrum. Which, uh, you know, along with the, we talked earlier about the forum in Montreal, the Philadelphia Spectrum also had a, a personality. I think that's one thing I miss about the old rinks, that they all had some character, whether it's the Chicago Stadium. You know, we still got, thankfully, we still have Madison Square Garden. But, you know, when you think of the Boston Garden, those rinks all had character. So I got to play in the Spectrum, which was awesome. But then, yeah, you mentioned going ahead. Um, I have a chapter in the book called, in Shattered Ice, called Operation Desert Storm. And that fourth game I played was uh, at the Capitol Center versus the uh, the Islanders. A, a Sunday afternoon, it was uh, right at the beginning of the Gulf War. And they played 
Lee Greenwood's God, God Bless the USA. And they had a ceremony at the beginning of the game to the troops and the branches of the military. Played the song and then followed up by the Star Spangled Banner. And for me personally, it was the loudest building I had ever played in. I've never felt that kind of intensity and passion in a building. And I had goosebumps. I say in the book, standing on the bench as the national anthem was finishing, uh, you couldn't hear, I couldn't hear the players beside me talking, never mind the coach behind me. And I had goosebumps going, running up and down my spine. And we won that game in overtime, kind of blew the roof off the building with the overtime goal. And, you know, to be in the, to be in the capital of the United States during the Gulf War and, you know, Sports has a, a way of being, bringing people together, and I, I think on that day it certainly brought the people in the building together and maybe even the, the city of Washington, D.C. It was just a, an amazing memory I'll never forget. Yeah, and it comes through crystal clear in the book. You actually feel those goosebumps as you're reading it. You know, we mentioned in the open how this is a book about your hockey odyssey, but it's also a very truthful account of your hockey experience while suffering silently from mental health issues that you didn't understand. How important was the writing of this book um, as far as the healing process for you or coming to grips with the mental health issues that you had had? It was huge. Uh, When I started, so I went off work, and uh, I was in a bad place mentally, and uh, I needed, I did go to therapy, I did go see a psychotherapist and a psychologist, but along with that, I started writing the book, and the, the book really took me back to some dark places. It made me visit, revisit some times in my life when I didn't understand what was happening to me, and that's part of the stigma with mental illness, that at the time, you know, you go back 20 years, we didn't talk about it, and you were left to deal with it on your own, and there were no avenues. So I used the book as a, a method to to, to bring myself back to those that time in my life and to kind of figure out why I made some of the choices I made and some of the bad choices I made and it certainly helped with that. Initially, it was a little dark, and my editor said to me, she asked me if this is the book I wanted to write, and I said I didn't want it to be all about the mental illness. I also wanted it to be about the joy of the sport, the love of hockey, and the amazing people I met along the way. And I guess part of the therapy was by writing the book, it brought the hockey family back to me because I really had convinced myself that the hockey family had abandoned me. And that was really just part of the mental illness. But by writing it, it gave me some personal therapy, but it gave me so much communication and love, I guess, from the hockey family. And it's been a wonderful experience that way. Steve, this is Ryan Sherman. So you mentioned how there's a uh, not only a stigma to the mental health, but then going back to the physical injuries, that guys would internalize those things as well, on top of the fact that you're battling these mental issues, which I can tell you myself, I've, I've gone through some things with anxiety, so I think talking about the stigma is so important. So for you, now that you've gotten to this point, you've written the book, how much of it has been a weight off your shoulders, not only for your own personal journey, but like how much have you gotten a joy out of connecting with other people and talking about that mental health stigma and, and breaking through that barrier? It's remarkable. Um, it's been an amazing, it's been a remarkable experience because now that I've come out, what I'm finding is when the more you talk about it, you get comfortable talking about it. And then other people are comfortable talking to you about it. And I think that's been a huge bonus that I 
maybe wasn't expecting. I, I and it's it's been great because now people are coming up to me. They feel comfortable with me because I've had, you know, I've used the word courage, but it takes people have told me it's courageous to come out. And I'm starting to, at the beginning, I felt a little, uh, it's hard to kind of swallow that, but now I'm out there openly saying that I want to help and kind of lead the the, the charge on this. And uh, to be able to help other people has been a terrific part of this whole experience and having other people share some of their own personal stories with me and and being able to work through it together because that's really the the biggest mistake I made was trying to deal with us on your own and it's impossible to deal with mental illness on your own and that's when people really start down a bad path and a dark path but if you've got the support of family and friends it's a huge and you mentioned the weight off your shoulder the moment I started talking about it it was a huge weight off my shoulder and just to be able to have the support of family and friends, sharing some of that burden or that you've been dealing with alone for so many years was a real relief. You know, Steve, you, you talked about how back, even though there was supposedly your support network back when you were a teenager, there's some things you just didn't talk about with your teammates and with your coaches. And this is back then. Do you think now, 30-something years later, things have changed is it easier do you think coaches are more receptive to this now or do you think things have not changed and if not what do you think can be done to make people feel more comfortable at an earlier age to discuss these issues i think it is changing i there is plenty of work to do um i compare it to moving an ocean liner you know you watch an you watch an ocean liner move it seems to it moves but very slowly i think that's what's happening there's a movement to uh increase mental health awareness but and coaches are definitely more aware of it and i know in, up here even in the ontario hockey league players get an education uh information session on mental mental health and mental wellness before they start so coaches are aware management's aware the players are aware but we still have uh, plenty of work to do to make players comfortable talking about it but we're certainly headed in the right direction but there's definitely a long way to go Steve, where's the best place for people to get a hold of this great book as well as uh, keep up with you on social media? Uh, My book is available in the United States on Amazon.com and in Canada on Amazon.ca. On Twitter, I'm at SL Seftel and uh, on Instagram as well, at Steve Seft. And the book's been a great experience, and, you know, I I know you – Kenny, my friend Kenny Albert read it, and um, some of the other guy, uh, Doug McLean, of course, he read it. He wrote the foreword for it. Uh, Jeff Rimmer. And so it's, the hockey family has come out, and uh, I'm just trying to spread the word so I can help other people and we can kind of battle this mental health stigma and uh, together as a, a society because it's, it's long overdue. It's very cool. The, the four guys you just mentioned have all been guests on this show, so it's pretty awesome. Oh. Too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Jeff Rimmer recently, when we had him on to talk about uh, when, when the Rangers uh, signed the, the bread man, so pretty mm-hmm. interesting. So uh, great book, really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for your time tonight, Steve. We really appreciate it. I was pleased to be, have the opportunity. Thanks so much for having me. 
You got it. Steve Seftel book, uh, Shattered Ice, available. Amazon.com. Uh, definitely, uh, I would pick it up. It, it's a great read uh, on many you know, levels, uh, especially, I mean, this is an issue we've talked about in many sports that gets overlooked, the, the mental health issue in, in all sports and even in youth, youth sports and, and the signs that people should be aware of. Definitely recommend it.